Strike dear mistress and cure his heart CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Ink Stud Show, the radio show where we talk about comics. That was a little Velvet Underground to start us out for the day. Slow but steady, as the uh, the phrase goes. Um, that song was picked uh, for a particular reason. Uh, today's guest is Craig Yo. Did I get it right? I forgot to double check. Yeah, Craig Yo. 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 Okay. And uh, Craig is, um, I guess, comics ex- historian extraordinaire. Uh, I'm not going to name. You? Huh? Can I quote you? Sure. Cool. I I I'd be fine with that. A little uh, a little poll quote from the Ink Studs. Um, I'm not going to list all the books, the main ones, the comic arf, um, arf forum, et cetera, et cetera, from Fanographics. Um, this week we're chatting about two particular books. We'll start out with the Secret Identity, the fetish art of Superman's co-creator. Joe Schuster. Right, that's an Abrams book, that particular one. The fantastic, part of the new line from uh, Abrams, their uh, comic art, is that what it's called? Uh, comics art. Comic arts. Art. Comics art, I think. Comic arts with the, with the S at the end. The arts yeah. is plural. Um, which is accurate, because comics are multidisciplinary art form, I guess. And they are an art. And this is actually the first book in in, in uh, their new line. It's, uh, it's being edited by Charlie Kochman uh, there, who's a, a fine fellow. And uh, this is, he's got all kinds of great books coming out in his line. But uh, I was uh, fortunate and proud to, to to be the first to to, to kick off his uh, imprint at Abrams. It's funny because your book is very different from all the other books in mm-hmm. in some ways. Uh, book is not like the others. <laughs> one of these is not like the others. I guess there is some similarities. One of them was the uh, erotic comics, which is kind of ah, like a, yeah. a history. And then there's the the laugh out loud cats, which I'm sorry did not appeal to me. Um, you didn't laugh out loud. I, I did not laugh out loud. I've I have yet to really get the joke. Maybe maybe uh, I'm, I've heard good things about. It. I haven't read it yet though. So I'll yeah, well, well. Oh. My headphones. There we go. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm having technical difficulties. Um, I stepped on something I shouldn't have. Yes. Let's get back to your book, though. We don't need to talk about the Oh, cats. that's great. <laughs> Good idea. But I am excited, excited about the um, Jaime Hernandez, uh, Todd Hignani book. That mm-hmm. sounds fantastic. On a side note. Uh, Secret Identity. Um, let's, let's look a little background on the book, I guess. Well, it, it is it, the title pretty much does explain uh, the, the overall uh, thrust is is the secret identity, the fetish art of Superman's co-creator Joe Schuster. And a couple of years ago, Rob and I uh, was at a antique book sale, and I noticed one dealer had this old dusty cardboard box in the far corner of his booth, and decided to peer in, and uh, lo and behold, there was this uh, kind of adults-only. 50s 
pornographic kind of amateurishly produced uh, booklets. And uh, but one did really stand out because the artwork was great, and uh, I immediately recognized that the artwork was by the guy who created superheroes, the guy who created the comic book industry with his partner Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster. It was the artist uh, creating artists of Superman. It was his work, and that just like blew my mind. Uh, this booklet was called Knights of Horror, and it, it was this uh, Knights of Horror or Horror. Horror, H O R R O R. Just thought I'd double check. Like scary kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Horror movies. I, that's probably my Midwest uh, U.S. accent. <laughs> uh, mixing it up with some other word that I don't even know about. But uh, uh, so there, these, this 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 booklet was a Knights of Horror booklet, and in one in a series of sixteen, as it turned out. Out and it's full of uh, S and M kind of pulpish kind of stories that are illustrated by Joe Schuster. He had about ten full-page illustrations in each one of these uh, uh, book, booklets. Kind of small size, and just but pack a powerful punch because uh, Joe's great artwork and the, and the sordid uh, subject matter. You know, it's like uh, the characters even kind of look like Superman or Lois Lane or Clark Kent or... Uh, Jimmy Olsen, or, or even Lex Luthor. So uh, they're, they're, of course, not those characters, but they sure are dead Darn close. For them. Yeah, they look kind of like those <laughs> characters. close. I showed this book to Mort Walker, the creator of uh, Beetle Bailey, last night. I said, this not this one illustration? There's one illustration of this uh, girl sans clothing, and she's being grabbed by two uh, hooded figures, and one is about to a syringe uh, needle in her na- her n- naked breast, and I said, "Doesn't this look like Lois Lane?" He goes, uh, "Well, uh, the body sure does." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's uh, he's ever the very funny guy. I, I love uh, Mort Walker and his, and his sense of humor. He's always on though. He's a funny guy. <laughs> anyway, the characters do look like citizens. Uh, Metropolis gone wild and very wild. It's it's odd. The hooded characters are one of the most unusual things. I was looking through this book with a friend, and it's like we're trying to figure out what the deal was with the hooded. Well, characters. I think you know these booklets were were done in the nineteen mid nineteen fifties, nineteen fifty three, probably to be exact, and uh, uh, probably to be exact. Boy, I'm a great historian. Uh, <laughs> so they were done in like nineteen fifty three. And, you know, during the height of uh, Ku Klux Klan uh, mania. And uh, so uh, I think it was, I think even though, I think they're progressive in many ways. They're progressive in their frank sexuality and sexual fantasy. And they're also like, you know, it's kind of, it was a good and, and brave and and cool thing that, that he was saying that, that that people, you know, that are, that go around wearing hoods and, uh pushing their own ideologies, uh, you know, are, are bad people or are, are villainous types. And uh, so, so they, yeah, there are a lot of hooded villains in these stories, but I think it kind of was was a thing of the times. And, and, and then I even no- noted that uh, there's a few black characters in, in these stories that Joe uh, uh, delineated. And, and, and they're, they're very, even, even though these 
I mean, most of the characters in these books are villainous in one sort or another. There's very few heroes. <laughs> but uh, there's uh, a lot of villains, but a couple of them are black, but they're kind of drawn in a, in a respectful way. You know, they like unlike many cartoonists, he didn't like overly exaggerate the features or something for like comic effect. Or mm-hmm. Not like uh, Ebony from um, The Spirit. Right. So... Uh, Exactly, and, and and so I I think it even you know so, some people don't like this material much, but I think you got to admire Joe for the brilliant artwork he was doing. The gumption, yeah, and the gumption, and also like socially they were kind of progressive in that men and women were both whippers and whippies. You know, there was equal opportunity whipping, and and uh, <laughs> people were drawn respectfully and uh, hooded. Figures were, you know, put down as as being bad, and you know, it was, it was, I, I I admire Joe so much, especially after, you know, creating the com- superhero in the comic book industry. But for, for this material too, it's just uh, it's him at the top of his form. He was doing beautiful artwork, and and then it, there's interesting themes here that he should get uh, credit for, not condemnation. In, in my book, in fact, in my book. <laughs> Read the book. Now, at this, what was he doing? I don't care if you read it. Buy the book. Buy the book. Peek through it. Flip. Um, yeah. At the, what was he doing creatively at the time when he was well, producing not, these? Not, when he did this, not much of anything. He, he in nineteen forty-eight, he, he and his uh, writing partner Jerry Siegel sued uh, DC Comics because they had sold Superman to DC for one hundred and thirty dollars that they split between them. So Joe got sixty-five bucks. So they sold the rights to the character for that. They did make a lot of money uh, doing Superman comic books and the Superman comic strip. They were probably making today's equivalent of about a million dollars a year each for about eight or nine, maybe ten years. But then it really bugged the heck out of them that the DC owned the character and that, that you know they had no guarantee for mm-hmm. kind of money. And in fact, uh, you know that you know their relationship was kind of up and down with DC through the years. So they wanted to try to get the character back. And the rights, and so they they met up with this lawyer who convinced them that was a good idea, and so they sued DC in 1948 and and lost. Uh, it really kind of in the judge's mind was an open and shut case where where DC did own the characters, uh, and so uh, Jerry and Joe became persona non grata at DC. Their names were taken off the credits, and they stopped getting you know assignments and money from DC and. Uh, so, so, and and I think maybe all with all that money they earned, maybe Joe and maybe Jerry too had kind of just ran through the money they thought it was going to be there forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you live like a rock star, I know, Robin. So you, know, you, know, you saw my heaving life, so backpack. You, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So, so I think he kind of was out of work, but by, by 1953, he, you know, we only know that he was doing like kind of odd jobs like sweeping up in stores and being an errand boy and things like that so and working on a few ideas but nothing had come to fruition so uh you know he he did need the money uh when he met up uh you know with the the, the people that the one to produce these booklets uh, the publisher was a mafioso type uh he owned uh he was like a jewish mobster who owned bookstores in times square and uh, need, needed uh stuff for his patrons, you know, a special uh, 
customers who demanded this kind of S&M kind of stuff. So uh, he he had Joe and this writer, Clancy, uh, put together these booklets. And, uh, you know, so this is, and Joe got like about 100 bucks a book, which doesn't sound like much, but, you know, 10, ten illustrations would probably equal a couple pages of, of, of comic book stories. And so, you know, so like, you know, fifty bucks a page for a comic book story wasn't bad money back then. But I'm not saying you got rich off of this no. particular thing at all. I mean, you know, in fact, uh, you know, it, it it didn't last for a long time because there, there was problems down the road on it. How does this fit in the spectrum of um, the illicit material that was coming out at the time? Well, uh, the, yeah, there was other uh, c- kinds of stuff. Eric, Eric Stanton was doing uh, bondage artwork, and Betty Page was, uh, uh, you know, doing her modeling. I think it kind of fits into that whole kind of thing. And you know, and uh, you know, if, if you've read about Betty Page or some problems with the and, and her photographer uh, Irving Claw and his problems with the government, you kind of know. All the kinds of things that were well, she didn't on. even get rights for her work until well into her later years, wasn't it? I'm not sure she ever really owned any rights to her work. Just her name. Yeah, her name, and then, and then I think people, you know, started feeling that it was just to pay her to. At least some people, when they reprinted uh, her, her work, I, I just did another book called Sexology, which is a collection of. Uh, uh, articles from a, a magazine that started started in the 1930s, uh, and uh, it, 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 it was like kind of a pseudo science social magazine, but really just an excuse to talk about sex. They had a weird kind of scientific articles like about homosexual chickens or <laughs> sociological looks about Hitler's sex life or and all kinds of crazy kinds of things. But that I dedicated that. Uh, book, The Best of Sexology, uh, which collected all these magazine articles, uh, to Betty Page, because I had, uh, not just because I had a picture of her reading the magazine that I was able to put with a dedication, but, uh, you know, I, I certainly do, you know, love love, love her persona and her image, and you know, I think she was a pretty cool and progressive lady, just like I think Joe was pretty progressive in illustrating these sexual fantasies, you know, at, at the time, you know? Wasn't this taking a lot of risk? This kind of material was illegal. Mm-hmm. Was this around the same time that uh, Joe Willie's Bazaar was coming up too? Yes, right, exactly. Where he was doing the photos um, that was the "How to Defend Yourself" as a way of right. showing women being tied up. Right, 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 right. Yeah, all those kind of photos and drawings. I, I think Eric Stanton did artwork for that too, didn't he? Or just I actually, I think he did. Uh, yeah. I can't remember exactly, but... Me neither. I'm going to do a quick song break, and then when we get back in, um, why don't we talk about the legal difficulties? Yeah, that sounds great. What would you like to hear? Uh, Me? Yeah. Whip it or uh, the stones? Whip it would be good in the context of all the sadomasochistic talk here. There we go. Uh, Stay tuned. Ink Studs, uh, CITR 101.9 FM. We'll be right back.
Terra 101.9 FM that was Diva with the always classic Whip It um, my guest this week if you're listening is Craig Yale and we are discussing currently the uh, secret identity the fetish art of Superman's co-creator Joe Schuster which you know those Devo guys they, uh, they, they went to my high school really yeah in, uh, in Ohio Akron Ohio Akron Ohio I just had a uh, Last, a couple months ago, uh, Durf on, who did oh, a yeah. great comic. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm about, anxious to read that, that comic he did, uh, I guess, uh, about the kind of Akron punk scene or something, which a lot of my pals uh, were involved in. Uh, uh, not me so much. <laughs> You're too busy reading comics. Yeah, maybe. I think sort of that and some other things, but... Uh, uh, I, I, I was, uh, around that time running a, uh, a nightclub and, uh, you know, so some of the musicians that got involved in that scene, uh, you know, played, played at my, uh, nightclub. That, so. It's a good book. Uh, but I did kind of get off into, into other <laughs> And they, uh, they, they went on to create what was once touted as, the, Akron was being said that it was going to be the next, uh, Liverpool or something. Didn't quite happen th- that way, but uh, you know, I think there was, from what I know, there was some great music that came out of it. Some art, great artists like like Durf and uh, a musician named Harvey Gold, and there's this old pal of mine named Nick. I can't remember what his last name was, but he, he he was a real mover and shaker, kind of behind that whole music scene. How did we get off into that? Ohio, oh, whip it, whip the it, Devo and, the Devo, yeah, the uh, music being appropriate to the topic at hand yeah whips and chains whips and chains and uh venus and furs uh also being in the same subject which i was mentioning earlier before we actually got on air was probably sold the book at that time would have been sold in the same shops that would have sold yeah right 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 for sure and velvet underground was also a a naughty book there was a one of the titles for the knights of war books that joe schuster illustrated was called uh the Bride wore leather. I always thought that was kind of similar to Venus and, and furs. There we go. So it kind of resonates in the same way. It all fits. Yeah. 
Now, the legal troubles. Actually, I, I, something before we get to that is, what did Joe think of this work? Did he ever talk about it, or is this only from your research of finding it and you kind of? Well, I never, I never like uh, got some authority of quote from him. I mean, he didn't sign the work because, uh, like we were saying before, it's highly illegal to do this kind of stuff. Though it's clearly his work, and uh, but uh, I, I at the book first book signing I had at the New York Comic Con uh, when the book had j- just come out. In fact, we had only flown a few in from uh, uh, China to, 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 sell, to sell there and kind of advanced copies, but some guy that was first in line that said, told me that when he was 18, he was a volunteer at the New York Comic Con that was happening back in 1971 and uh, that, that he was assigned to, to Joe Schuster to, to get him around convention and make sure he was at his uh, talks on time and had lunch and all that kind of good stuff. And at a certain point in the day, Joe asked him if he would give him, if he had a car and he could give him a ride back to his apartment because he wanted to get some artwork that he wanted to sell at the convention or something like that. And while he was there, uh, some artwork that he showed him, he went, he went into the back room and came out and opened up a portfolio and lo and behold, it was like this S&M kind of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and he said to the to the to the guy, who, he said, "Have you ever seen anything like this before?" He <laughs> <laughs> said, "No." And he, and, uh, and Joe, you know, turned the page and said, "Well, we all kind of uh, have had our indiscretions in the past." And just kind of smiled or something. <laughs> and then, so that was the that was the story the guy told me. So. You know, apparently he wasn't so totally ashamed of it that he never ever showed it to anybody. But I don't think it was something back in the fifties or even that in nineteen seventy one that you necessarily would, uh, you know, tell everybody about or go on record talking about or, you know, in an interview or something like that. But <laughs> you know, I, he's, I think he seemed to uh, enjoy doing the. the the figure work in this, and they're they're beautiful figures, and he rendered them uh, exquisitely. And uh, how much he uh, liked or disliked the, the actual subject matter, I, I I really couldn't say. Well, I mean, you contrast it. I heard someone asking about this because I, would, just so folks know, we were at the Toronto Comic and Art Festival this past weekend. Very uh, lovely weekend. Far yeah. too many comics were bought. Um, and then someone's asking you about um, Tijuana Bibles, right? And how that, because there's a there's a def, definite difference in style between this and the Tijuana Bibles, where there's a lot more craftsmanship, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mo- most of the Tijuana Bibles, with, with a few nice exceptions, were totally hurriedly done and by very amateurish artists, and uh, uh, you know, and there. The, in, in, in some ways, they're cruder artwork-wise and cruder... Well, I don't know how you would define it, though. I mean, I mean, they show genitalia and, and penetration and stuff like that. This, this, uh, this is more work by Joe Schuster, uh, Superman's creator. It's more on the uh, S&M side, and it's more interested in, uh, you know, bondage and discipline and, and torture and kind of pulpish kind of stories where the you want a Bible were kind of jokey stories and just eight eight pages, eight panels as, <laughs> as 
since their name, but uh, uh, well, they, they, besides being called the Tijuana Bibles, they were called Eight Pagers. Uh, so uh, you know, I mean, they're kind of a different animal. I mean, similar, but but different. Well, these aren't gag strips. I think no, that, no, that's are, something to to definitely there's funny about these. <laughs> there's a couple of them that are funny. Well, maybe only <laughs> funny from our viewpoint, or in retrospect, or I don't know. I, I don't think they're like New Yorker cartoons, or no. even Playboy cartoons. They're they're pretty uh, pretty strong. You know, they're more like pulp illustrations, with, except that they actually showed nudity and nipples on the women. At least men might have noticed Robin in the drawings. There's no. Uh, Male nipples. Uh, it's like the Ken you know, doll you effect. Have bondage and discipline, whips and chains and torture, but you you know don't go that far to actually show men with nipples. That seems to be maybe some kind of fifties uh, taboo that, that even though they crossed all these other taboos, that that one they didn't dare across. Maybe it's kind of like the Joe Matt thing where there's you cut out what you don't want to see. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe you're, people are uncomfortable with male nipples. But the, sexuality of the men somehow is you know yeah maybe makes people some people queasy and that kind of brings I don't have nipples (laughs) I I kind of really relate to this material because of that (laughs) maybe I shouldn't have revealed that is that TMI too much information Uh, it it makes it fun and unique we'll go for that it's it's hard to shock me I've I've come out on, on your show I have no nipples there we go here here first, folks. Um, you're. I don't know. Danny Hellman's going to make fun of me. Oh, oh God. Oh, I can already see the pictures. Oh, something. Danny. We weren't going to mention Danny Hellman. I haven't even mentioned his name yet. Uh, all right. <sighs> Onward and upward. We can only go upward Hopefully from he's here. Not listening today. Not yet. About how I'm nippleless. <laughs> never let me hear the end of it. <laughs> now, the legal troubles. We were going to talk a little bit about legal troubles that uh, would have been faced and kind of made this uh, venture come to an end. Well, the bizarre thing that happened is that some uh, this gang from Brooklyn got a hold of these booklets, and this gang was composed, composed of, f- of four young men who were Jews and Nazis at the same time. The leader, Jack Coslow, sported a Hitler mustache's did uh, his followers and uh, Koslow would uh, yell Sieg Heil and Heil Hitler during the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, uh, the, to the U.S. flag. You're Canadian, so maybe you don't pledge the U.S. flag either, but he, he, he Not yet. and said uh, Heil Hitler during uh, this ceremony that every um, American uh, child did at the beginning of each school day. So, uh, and he got his followers to uh, go with him out in, in, in parks at night, and, and they had ordered uh, whips out of the back pages of comic books. He used to be able to buy whips and switchblades and things like that in comic books in the 50s uh, via comic books. Uh, and uh, they ordered whips, and then they would use these, uh, these uh, implements to uh, whip and flog girls in, in the park, and then they... Uh, Copying things that they saw in uh, the Knights of War booklets, they would uh, call, make bums kneel before them and kiss their feet, and they set these bums on fire and tortured them, and and then killed a couple uh, of these uh, 
vagrants that were in the park. So uh, they got caught and uh, went on trial for, for murder. And uh, the judge called in a, a psychiatrist who was famous for dealing with, with kids and uh, wanted him to interview Jack Coslow in his jail cell to find out if Jack Coslow was uh, <coughs> to be tried. And uh, this, this uh, psychiatrist was Dr. Frederick Wortham, the famed anti-comic book crusader. Uh, and and uh, in, in interviewing Jack Coslow, the, the teenage juvenile delinquent uh, Jewish Nazi, he found out that he took much of his inspiration from his complete collection that he had of uh, the Ni- Joe Schuster's Knights of Horror booklets. And so the the government and the public and the and the press at the time uh, got real upset about all, all, everything related to this. Both now, is this before or after the trial, the the big comic stuff? Well, when- there was there, there was actually like four or five different uh, Senate investigations and hearings and. Uh, about comic books Mm -hmm. and juvenile delinquency and pornography. And uh, the code, uh, this was right right around and right after Brooklyn Serial Killer's trial was, I think, right after the code was formally adopted. But up until that time, during, uh, after they were caught, there was all kinds of full-page headlines in the newspapers and big articles and in Time and Life. Newsweek and Reader's Digest, talking about all together the Brooklyn Thrill Killers comic books and the Knights of Horror booklets. They kind of the press kind of mishmashed it all together. And uh, worth me eventually, uh, Jack Coslow in 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 his right fisted man, or not right hand man, right fisted man, because this is uh, uh, Melvin Mittman enjoyed uh, Coslow kind of an intellectual approach to wiping out. Uh, uh, bums, but uh, Mintman just enjoyed seeing how hard he could hit them. Uh, so they both got life imprisonment, and uh, and soon thereafter, uh, Frederick Wortham, Doctor Frederick Wortham, uh, was part of another investigation looking into juvenile delinquency and comic books, and he gave in pornography, and he gave a whole. Uh, presentation about the Knights of Horror books and, and, and had charts and graphs about how different phrases and different incidences and different illustrations in the Knights of Horror books were inspirations for the Brooklyn Thrill Killers. So they, you know, it's just kind of all tied in together in this crazy period in the mid-50s. It's a good thing he didn't sign his name. Well, you know, that's the amazing thing. That, that That's one of the re- ways I found out about all these uh, events and circumstances is that a fellow historian who I was talking to about with these about these uh, Knights of Horror booklets that Schuster illustrated, he, he he said to me, "Well, it's a good thing that Dr. Fred Wortham never found out about these." And that's when I decided to Google Dr. Frederick Wortham plus Knights of Horror, and that's when I found out it just opened up a flood, <laughs> wild, crazy information and. And that's how I found out about the Brooklyn Thrill Killer. So this this whole story is just like insane. I mean, you've got you know Jewish Nazi juvenile delinquents. You've got showgirls. You've got starving artists. You've got Hitler. You've got uh, you know DAs, and you've got judges, and you've got the you know the police force of New York, and you've got Supreme Court judges, and 
And you've got Superman. And you've got Superman. You know, so it's just like a, this crazy story that even, like, I don't think comic book writers or pulp writers dreamed of. <laughs> Where does this come from? This should be a movie. It really should. If anyone's listening, make a movie. Hello, hello. Hollywood. There we go. Yeah, I don't think Hollywood listens. Not to me, at least. Or else we'd have no uh, spirit movie. <laughs> oh. Ooh. Uh, ooh. Um, Get away from that one. I'm going to do another quick song break. Okay. Um, what are you going to play now? I was going to play uh, Bowie's uh, Superman. Oh, that'll work. It's a different take. It's an alternative take off the Hunky Dory, uh, the old Ryko disc release they did. Okay. Uh, and then when we get I back... I've heard this one. You haven't? Version. It's a nice version. It's a lot more uh, down-tempo. Um, maybe that's the wrong word. But when we come back, uh, why don't we jump into uh, Booty Rogers? Oh, we'll shake our booty. We'll that's shake our booty. Subject. Cool. All right. So, Inksud, CITR 101.9 FM. I'm chatting with Craig Gill, and we'll be right back. When all the world was very young Mountain magic heavy hung The supermen would walk in file Guardians of a loveless isle And gloomy browed with super fear Their endless tragic lives could heave no sign And solemn perverse serenity Wondrous beings chained to life <laughs> Strange games they would play then No death for the perfect men Life rolls into one for them So softly a super god Where all were minds in unithought Powers weird by mystics taught No pain, no joy, no power too great Colossal strength to grasp a fate Where sad-eyed mermen tossed in slumbers Nightmare dreams no mortal mind could hold Man would tear his brother's flesh A chance to die, to turn to mold Far out in the red skies Far out from the sad eyes Strange mad celebrations So softly a super god CITR 101.9 FM. 
Ink Studs, radio show where we talk about comics. What do you think of that version? I, I loved it. That's it? Bowie. Bowie. What's not to love? Hunky Dory is my favorite album, so it's nice to have the bonus tracks that they kind of did. It, it's the your number session. one favorite album? It's up there. It's, uh, you know... You which co- is it? Is it your favorite album, or is it up there? It's up there because I I never made a list of my favorite albums. Okay. Just checking. Yeah, no, uh, you know, there's there's some albums which I find are really perfect, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. So, um, Booty Rogers, a wonderful, odd book um, from Fantagraphics came out a couple months ago, last month, this month. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah not, not too long ago, just maybe a few weeks ago. It's looking at the art, I guess it's kind of like a amalgamation of like Basil Wolverton meets Frank Frazetta, only it came out before them. Is that a good yeah. It's like yeah, if, it's crazy stuff. I mean, this I, I, he you have your favorite album. I have my favorite cartoonist, and that would be Booty Rogers. I think he's the world's greatest cartoonist. Not, not I, aside from just be my own personal favorite. I'm trying to tell everyone who will listen that he, he is the greatest cartoonist of all time. Uh, just so just so wild and wacky and weird and crazy and. And uh, yet, it's just not insanity for insanity's sake. That you know, the, 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 the stories have plots, and and uh, you know, there's characterization, and 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 the drawing is just incredible. It's it's, it's humorous uh, drawing, but it's so beautifully drawn, and the girls are so sexy and fun, and you know, I I, I just I I can't uh, say high enough praise for Booty Rogers. Well, it's such a it's very tight, but it seems like there's a lot of fun in what he's drawing. Uh, he was definitely having a good time when he was doing this, and then you know we, the readers, uh, benefit from that. You know that he was just he, that, you know just just you know he was laughing while he was doing this. Now you got you you were able to meet him and actually correspond with him quite regularly. Yeah, he became actually a very good friend of mine, and I, I, he used to visit me up here. New York area, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd stayed with him a number of times in, in, in his home out west in Texas, and uh, you know, I, I, and, yeah, we would exchange letters and phone calls two and three times a week for m- many years. So, uh, you know, I, I got to be very close to him, and he was a great guy. Apart from his comics being great, he, he, he was a, he was a really nice guy and a lot of fun. He's really fascinating. Like he's quite different from any other comic guy I read about. I mean, born 1904. Is that the right date? I think that's the right uh, date. You know, I was just I'm going to go with what you say. <laughs> I'm going to read my book to make sure. <laughs> um, from Fantagraphics, Inc. Um, but yeah, he, the book is called Booty, B-O-O-D-Y, you know, just like shake your booty. Or... So, uh, you know, it, it is... These cartoons are kind of sexy in some ways, and and fun and adventuresome and hilarious, all all, all at once. What made him but, so? But what were you say? Yeah, he was born in 1904. Really... In fact, he was born in in the state that eventually, or the area that eventually became the state of Oklahoma in the United States. But he was born born when when it was it was just a territory. I mean, he he went back. You're saying he like went to Northern California to go pan for gold to make it back to New York. To go yeah, work right, in comics. Right. I mean, 
I just that that sounds incredible. Like it sounds like he's really done all these amazing things. Yeah, as well yeah, he, as he being a cartoonist. Yeah, you know, and you know, the, around the culture there. Yet, you know, he's from, from Oklahoma and Texas, and panhandled out in California, and he, and he was friends with all these top cartoonists like Milton Kniff and, and uh well he went to school with a lot of them right yeah he he went from Oklahoma to, to uh Chicago and, and at that time uh there was uh the Chicago Academy the the art school there uh had a cartooning course headed up uh by Carrie Orr and I think uh political cartoonist uh, shoemaker was was a teacher and so he learned from some of the greats. And while he was in Chicago, he met like Chester Gould, and uh, who did Dick Tracy, and Harold uh, Gray, who did Little Orphan Annie. So you know, I mean, he was with you know he he was in that era and meeting the cartoonist bigwigs in Chicago, and he, you know he was thrilled and hanging out with these guys. What did they you think know? of him? <laughs> I don't know what they thought of personally. <laughs> Though I can guess everybody that knew Booty. Really, really liked him. He was just such a fun guy and loving guy and, and wacky and you know and uh, you know he, he was just a good time guy and, and people really dug him. I mean, he had a he had a beautiful family and wife and kids who re- really adored him and by vice versa. And uh, he, you know, he was just a, tr- a, tr- a terrific man and a lot and a lot of fun. But but always he always enjoyed having a good time and making people laugh, and especially through his comics. And stuff. He loved his comics, you know, and he, he, he loved uh, coming up with wacky stories and ideas for them. So, that, that shows so much in, in the work, doesn't it, Robin? Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's quite like... It's like a Texan take on Greek figures, this odd, like amalgamation of different kinds of imagery to just like create this unusual world that like Richie Rich only wishes he could be a part of. <laughs> yeah. There's like a lot of sur- bizarre surrealism in some of the stories when, when uh, he, he had a kind of a superhero character Sparky Watts who, who uh, flew by uh, flapping his arms <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and the ladies loved him and uh you know, and he had all these wacky characters around him, like Slap Happy was this friend of his who had like these giant feet that were about as uh, long as he was tall, and you know, just all these nutty characters all around him, uh, sort of like uh, Chester Gould villains, or uh, you know, except that they were his friends, <laughs> <laughs> his enemies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, Booty had a lot of fun in these comics. I, I love reading them. And he had another character called Babe, who was like this very strong woman figure. She was, she was a hillbilly girl who could run faster and dive deeper, and uh, you know, than any other person on on the earth. And she she was great at playing baseball and football and wrestling, and you know, she she was a real she was a real character too. Her, she took her name from Babe Dickerson, the the Olympic star, but it's just like a humorous take on that if babe babe uh the olympic star would meet uh you know uh little abner or the Bill- beverly hillbillies or something <laughs> and then with all, throwing a bunch of wackiness too that then you would have babe 
What did guys like? Um, was he influential on people like Frazetta and Wolverton? Did, was that someone? I don't know. You know, he, 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 his comic strip work of Sparky Watts was was uh, mostly in small town newspapers. It wasn't the Brooklyn Eagle, but uh, the the, the uh, comics historian friend of mine, Ron Goulart, uh, guesses that that maybe the Frank Markey syndicate was actually a, maybe a tax write-off for some larger syndicate because they seem to not sell to too many papers and just get in small towns. So his work was never really widely known in the comic book company company he worked for was was a small outfit too you know so they didn't really get out there that much because i'm just looking at the one one character uh the friend of sparky um the bald guy reminds me so much of like powerhouse pepper oh yeah 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 i think so too but whether or not oh you know i I talked to wolverton at one point in my life too and i talked to you know friends with booty but i i i I think I did ask Moody if he was familiar with Wolverton, and I don't think he recalled him, or if he was ever familiar with him. And I, I didn't get a chance to ask Wolverton if he knew Booty Rogers, but they are seemed kind of cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. Then maybe that's just it. There's uh, something in the water. Yeah, I think so. No, he was in the first... Oh, I want, I want to oh, drink yeah. that water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the first comic, right? Well, that's, uh, the that's first the... newsstand comic uh, put out by, which was the first newsstand comic book called the, the Comics. Uh, he he had work in there. He, had, I think, one of his uh, cartooning teachers in Chicago maybe had heard uh, that uh, Dell was putting together a book and looking for work or something. You know, maybe they can't. Probably looking for cheap artwork. They, maybe they contacted the school, getting <laughs> talented students or something. So. Uh, Booty uh, quickly got his artwork to uh, to to Dell, and one one of the strips was Rock Age Roy. In fact, uh, he, he gave me a piece of original artwork from from the first comic, that, and, and uh, featured Rock Age Roy. And uh, you know, I treasure that piece of artwork because it's like a real historical piece. Plus, it's by the great Booty Rogers. It's it's a really neat way of opening the book to see also where he started. And seeing how that connects to his later work. Yeah, he, uh, you know, I mean, he, he, he definitely was in that grand comics tradition, you know, and, and uh, you know, he was absorbing all the these great cartoons he was meeting and learning from in Chicago. In fact, there's even some people that say there's a Chicago school of cartooning because, uh, you know, Booty Rogers came there, and, and then a friend of his, Bill Holman, who did. Smokey Stover was from that area, and uh, uh, he, I think Booty might, was friends with her, might have even roomed with Tex Avery, the great animator, uh, who was from Texas. That's how he got his name, and, and they both ended up in Chicago. Who also has a, a wild eye. Yeah, yeah. For, for, I for I, the I way wonder how much women. influence maybe they were on each other. I'm also wondering about the influence of uh, Harriman. I'm just looking at that page we're talking about. Oh, yeah, page. yeah, you're right. Uh, the backgrounds, I mean, they were both kind of drawing southwestern backgrounds. Uh, but, yeah, I wonder if Woody did uh, enjoy the the backgrounds that Harriman used to put it. I mean, it's just that the backgrounds are the only thing that's kind of similar. I mean, the rest is definitely not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know how animation has, like, the characters in the foreground and these 
incredibly beautiful backgrounds. It's almost like the, it's almost like they're beautiful <laughs> George Sherman Southwestern backgrounds. Yet in front of them are these wild, wacky, crazy characters that Boone was drawing. Tell me about when you first came across the Booty Rogers comic. Uh, that was when I was like a pretty young, young guy. I, I had gotten interested in comics and comic books and cartoonists and going to bookstores after school or riding my Saturdays, riding my bike around the town of Akron, going to all these old bookstores, seeing if they had any comic books in the in the in the drawers or in the back room or something. Most of the time they didn't, but sometimes I'd find a nice stack. And one time at a bookstore, I found a, a a box of musty old comics and uh you know it was like actually a big box and i talked to the owner to let me having the box of comics at 10 cents a piece but even at that it was like way too much for even my money i was earning from mowing. so i asked my dad if he'd float me some money and he, he had to think about it. in fact he went to the bookstore with me to make sure <laughs> wasn't uh getting ripped off or something and and I think he he made me anguish over it more, you know, so that I would learn the value of a dollar or something, you know. So I had to go with my dad. We checked out the books, and he said, okay, I'll lend you the money, and took this box home, and uh, thanks to my dad. And, uh, uh, you know, I just, like, rifled through all this old, crazy stuff. It was, I mean, cause the EC comics and Superman comic books and Lone Ranger, and just but it just seemed like comics from another time, you know, and they were... They, they were kind of bizarre just because they were thick and from the 1940s and many characters that I wasn't familiar with, but the one that really stood out was one of these Babe comic books by Booty Rogers. As as bizarre and weird as all these horror or cowboy or funny comic books were, Booty seemed to be the most bizarre. It's kind of like, even kind of like spooked me out a little bit. Not in a totally creepy way, but just like Wow, this is like really different, you know. So for for a long time, that that laid on my bedroom floor, and I don't know if I even like got around to. I would look at it, but not read it. And I think maybe I didn't even read it till years later. But I just noticed it was it was like really different. It blew your mind. And then when I did finally read it, it like I was just cracking up. You know, funny, funny stuff. I, I, I can you tell I love Booty Rogers. No, it's work it it comes right through. And a lot of people, I'm getting a great reaction to this book. A lot of people are getting turned on to Booty for the first time and, you know, getting pretty excited about it. So, well, it's a, it's a good time for this kind of thing, you and uh, the work you're doing that Fletcher Hanks is, or um, Paul Karasek's doing with the Fletcher Hanks collection. Yeah, and, yeah, those are great books. I love that Fletcher Hanks. In fact, again, Booty, Archer's Fletcher Hanks are kind of similar, but very different. And, and I think they're both crazy comic books, but I think Fletcher... Hanks maybe was pretty crazy, where Booty was, you know, could get into being fun and crazy, but he was really, you know, a, you know, a normal family man <laughs> and, a, and a good guy. So uh, they both kind of end up at the same spot, but coming from different directions. And Fletcher uh, Hanks is kind of a primitive, yet, yet the work has a, big, a power to it. Booty's work is powerful because it's, but it, Partly because it's so beautifully drawn, mm-hmm. you know, where it's it's not primitive in any way in that sense. Well, they're kind of like an opposite ends of a spectrum, yeah, in some yeah. aspects, or like a neat reflection of each other. Like here's this like it seems like a pretty dynamic guy, and Fletcher mm-hmm. Hanks is more of an enigma that really not a 
lot is known yeah about yeah, him. yeah. like i I'm, try, I'm trying to remember the will eisner quote about him but it's escaping my mind i would add mm. to the conversation but that just failed i'm at the end of my time slot my friend well this has been great Robin. it's been fantastic thank you so much for joining me again craig oh it's been my great pleasure so they're gonna buy everyone's gonna buy the secret identity the fetish art of superman's co-creator and booty the bizarre uh comics of booty rogers very beautifully put together book how much of a sample of his work is that collection oh the booty rogers oh there, there's lots more good stuff if, if this book does so well uh I, you know, I have some uh, ideas in mind to, to, to bring more out for the demanding public. Well, I hardly recommend checking out because it's nice. I really, one of my favorite things is how you really capture the feeling of it, like of the comics where like you look at some of those Marvel reprints and it's like, oh, look, it's hyper glossy paper and, you know, everything's white and you know, clean. Well, this, yeah. this well, you see the with dots. Andrew who does a great job on, on this kind of stuff. Jacob Covey, he's a, he's a talented young man. Yeah, for absolute sure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Craig. Okay. And Listen, you take care. You too. Thanks, Bye-bye. buddy. Bye. And that was Craig Yeo and the two books, Bodie Rogers, The Bizarre Wonderful World. It's uh, really really fascinating crazy collection you just look through it and one of the things you can just look at like what the hell and of course the secret identity uh the fetish art of superman co-creator joe schuster which is uh kind of in a similar vein of oddities um but also an excellent collection and uh thank you craig for all your tireless efforts of putting these together up next is the french connection on citr 101.9 fm uh it's just about three o'clock getting close to three o'clock um just before that i can play an interview i did with uh chris brandt talking about his uh independence documentary um which is a look at the creative spirit within comic creators and what really makes up creativity for them um it's an interesting documentary check out the interview i hope you enjoy and i'll be back next week
Oh, my God. 